welcome to another weekly edition of the Royal Ramble. I'm your host as always, Blaine the Brain, and I said last week that I would be talking about the next few weeks of build toward both Survivor Series and Full Gear, but then it occurred to me that next weekend is already the 18th. That's Full Gear on Saturday. It just snuck up on us. This whole month, this whole year is just flying by. Where did the time go? Before we know it, it'll be next year's Full Gear event, but I'm getting ahead of myself. So I did say that I'd speak about the week that was in wrestling, and there were a lot of developments, so I definitely intend to, but following that, I will get into my pay-per-view preview as we anticipate the newest AEW show next Saturday. Coming off the heels of a pretty average Crown Jewel event last weekend, the WWE has barely left any time to breathe as the immediate build has already started towards the next show, Survivor Series War Games, which is only two weeks away. I have to give them credit, though, for putting forth a pretty decent effort to hook us in for that show. In previous years, the WWE has mostly relied on the Survivor Series name alone as the draw for the event. I still remember the one year that Survivor Series was supposed to be scrapped as a whole, which I'm glad didn't end up happening. I'm not so much a fan, though, of announcing the stipulation before a match, and that's kind of exactly what happened. By the end of Raw, the puzzle pieces seemed to be in perfect alignment and had come together to kind of make the match make sense, and I think it was more or less the match that we all expected, though I wasn't expecting world champion Seth Rollins to be part of it, partly because I feel the program between Seth and Drew had more levels to it, but considering the abrupt way that Drew left the arena Monday night after being questioned about the loss at Crown Jewel, it makes me believe that perhaps we may get a rematch sooner than later. I just hope it doesn't end up as a TV program. I'm not so sure it has the marquee value to be considered for Mania, but who knows? Maybe by then it could. I'm thinking a rematch at the Rumble is probably more likely. But the announcement for War Games was made by general manager of Raw, Adam Pearce, and a William Regal he is not. But I suppose they needed someone to make the announcement. It'll be Seth Rollins teaming with Cody Rhodes, Jey Uso, and Sami Zayn against the Judgment Day along with JD McDonough, who I'm still not sure is officially in the group or not. But it should be a fun match. The women's side is a little more unclear, but it looks like that War Games match will be involving SmackDown participants. I really like the story with Bailey and Damage Control. They really needed something to hook us in, and I think the uncertainty is more than enough, and I applaud them for addressing the history, not only between Bailey and Kyrie Sane, but also Asuka and Kyrie Sane, though it kind of made Bianca look like a dumb babyface as a result. But I like that the match seems to be coming together more gradually, and think it's the right call. I don't think you needed to announce both War Games matches this week. Speaking of week, I think that might be the word to describe the rest of the Survivor Series card thus far. Zoe Stark won a battle royal, and Miz won a four-way, although somewhat controversially, each earning a shot at the women's and intercontinental title, respectively. I like that they at least had them earn their shot, but I don't feel like either championship match is anything to write home about. Miz, in particular, is someone that I don't buy as a serious threat to the champion Gunther, and I don't really buy him as a babyface either. They've tried multiple times to turn him and have failed each time, and I'm afraid I'm going to need a little more convincing this time around, and I'm not sold yet. In Zoe's case, she won a battle royal, which is fine, but I think that she was the weakest threat of all the other participants in the Fatal 5-Way match last week, so I'm not sure why they opted for her instead of any of the other three possibilities. Someone mentioned that Shayna should have been considered, which I would have agreed with, 
had she not been the one to get pinned in the five-way, which I think automatically cancels her out. Personally, I'm not even a fan of hers, but I think Nia Jax would have made the most sense for this match, since she put Rhea on the shelf for two weeks, and Rhea never really got any revenge for that. And Nia was also the only one not involved in the finish at Crown Jewel, so I think an argument could have definitely been made there, but perhaps they may be saving that match for Rumble or Elimination Chamber. And it's clear at this point that Becky Lynch is the opponent of choice for Rhea and Mania, which is great, and I'm just looking forward to see how they get there. I've loved all the subtle teases thus far between the two, and that seems to be something that Hunter excels at is the subtleties. The other interesting development on the SmackDown side is the fall of the LWO. I wonder if that decision was made as a result of what happened at Crown Jewel in order to make sense out of that, or perhaps that was the plan all along. I never bought Santos Escobar as a babyface either, and I'm interested to see where this goes. I do feel like it was kind of rushed, but I thought the execution was perfect and the heel turn made sense. I wonder where this leaves the feud with Lashley and the Street Profits, or if that's done now. I'm good either way because that program wasn't really moving any mountains. After two weeks of Halloween Havoc, I felt that this week's NXT was kind of a back-to-normal show. I didn't care for it, to be honest. In fact, I thought it was the weakest of the shows this week. I'm not sure how I feel about this Trick Williams and Carmelo Hayes angle. To me, it kind of looks like they're painting Trick as the heel. I'm sure that's not the intention, but that's the way it comes across, especially considering Carmelo's reaction. And then they have Lexus King, of all people, trying to get between them. Interesting that they are placing King in a main event angle right off the bat, but I feel like this isn't the best use of him. I'm not a fan of Joe Gacy, but I think someone like him would have been better suited for something like that, because he's supposed to be this cult leader. And that's exactly what cults do, is try to come to between best friends and family and plant seeds of doubt to try to get in people's heads. Impact also appears to be back to normal after their European tour, and seemed more geared toward building for Hard to Kill. Deanna Perrazzo now seems to be done with the company following this week's clean loss to Tasha Steeles, and it's anyone's guess where she ends up. Personally, I think WWE might be a suitable fit in this case, especially with the rumble right around the corner. And since her exit from WWE, she's built herself into a bit of a household name, so I'd say that option is more than likely. AEW doesn't have a great history of booking its women's division, so I'm not sure if she'd like that environment. I suppose it all depends on what her motivation is. Impact also had a great main event for the world title between Alex Shelley and Jonathan Gresham. It was an unusual, unadvertised TV match, but a damn good one. And the hits will apparently keep on coming, as we will have Will Ospreay versus Josh Alexander next week, and then at the next Impact Plus special, Turning Point, Zack Sabre Jr. debuts, tagging with Josh Alexander, against the Motor City Machine Gun, which are definitely two must-see matches. Now, normally at this time, I would talk about AEW TV, but since I'm going to preview the pay-per-view anyway, why not just get right into it? One thing I will discuss is Rampage from Friday night. We had a really hot main event between FTR and the team of El Hijo del Fikingo and Commander. I liked the women's match as well between Ruby Soho and Red Velvet until the finish, which was just awkward and lazy. I thought the choreography in that closing sequence was terrible and poorly timed. And this is why I think wrestlers should focus more on in-ring psychology instead of just trying to get spots in. Full gear next weekend looks like a good one on paper, but some of the booking still leaves a lot to be desired. Starting at the top of the card, I probably don't need to explain how much I absolutely detest this angle with MJF and Adam Cole, and by extension Jay White. 
I don't buy for a minute that Cole and MJF are actual friends, even though they probably are in real life. But this whole angle just makes both of them look dumb, and regardless of how this plays out, one of them is going to be looking very foolish in the end. The sad thing is that I'm a fan of everyone involved in this angle, but their attachment to it has removed a bit of my interest in each of their characters. I hate that MJF just lets another guy walk around for a month with his world title, and that whole thing on Collision a couple weeks ago, where he was running from the heels, made him look so weak. And then this whole thing with Cole and Roddy, too, and the Samoa Joe side story. I feel like there are way too many people involved, and I really don't care how this ends. I just want to see it get there. The good thing is that the match should be very good. I'm assuming something will happen on the Zero Hour, which will end up costing MJF the ROH tag belts to the guns. I think we're probably getting an MJF retention of the world title, but the devil will finally reveal himself or themselves, and it won't be what any of us are expecting. Considering that those guys initially attacked Jay White, it wouldn't make much sense for the Bullet Club to be behind the attack. But I'm thinking it may be someone from outside the company, and if that's the case, it needs to be someone that's going to turn heads. Who that is is anyone's guess. One thing that I do look forward to on a weekly basis is the constant development of Tony Storm's character. Timeless Tony Storm is without question the best character that AEW has ever come up with, and dare I say, one of the greatest things that AEW has ever done. And they can't just let it die here. Tony Storm will be the new AEW Women's Champion. Nothing against Sheeta, but she's not selling any tickets. And they have a shot to do that and make people care about women's wrestling in AEW with Tony Storm. I think it should be an easy choice. Another weekly highlight for me in AEW is Christian Cage. He will team with Nick Wayne and Luchasaurus against the team of Sting, Darby Allin, and Adam Copeland. I don't know if I'd have booked Copeland's first pay-per-view match in a six-man, but it is what it is. And honestly, I don't know why they would have had Copeland spear Christian for free. What's the point of the match then? To me, they should have milked that moment for whatever it was worth, which is very little right now, and given that away at the pay-per-view. I can't see Copeland losing his first big match, so I think he wins for his team, probably pinning someone other than Christian, and then they build to a singles match between the two of them at a later date. Chris Jericho and Kenny Omega have been embroiled in this rivalry with the Don Callis family, so I guess it makes logical sense to book them in a match with the Young Bucks. Having said that, that match is probably going to be better than they would have had with any combination of Callis' guys, but that feud is still ongoing, and I don't know why the need for this little side story. This just suggests to me that Callis will get involved, leading to a Young Bucks victory, and then he'll try to recruit the Bucks to join him. Also, given that the Bucks have a guaranteed title shot, they kind of need a win more. The other elitist, Hangman Page, will take on Swerve Strickland in singles action. Swerve has been one of the pleasant surprises in AEW and someone that I'd never have expected to get this kind of push. But I'd say it's well-deserved. I think this is where Hangman evens things up and then they have the rubber match at the next big show. The other match announced for the show is for the international title. It'll be Orange Cassidy defending against Jon Moxley. I actually like the story here, but I'm struggling to understand whether the Blackpool Combat Club are supposed to be heels or babyfaces. In this match, they are certainly the heels. It should be a good match, and I'm expecting it to even open up the show, and I'm expecting Mox or Orange, or perhaps both, to be opened up as well. I can't see Mox doing a clean job for Cassidy, but I think they will work around that somehow and perhaps plant seeds of dissension between the BCC where a mistake will by Wheeler or Claudio will cost Mox the title.
So that'll do it for another week. I will not be recording a new episode next week because the pay-per-view is on Saturday and I will only have an opportunity to watch it Sunday afternoon. Instead, I will have a bigger show the following week with a trifecta of reviews, including Full Gear, WWE Survivor Series, and UFC 295. Until then, I leave you with an A-B-C-A.